Colossians 3, <clears throat> the verses that we considered last week. 1 Corinthians 10, Colossians 3, and then also, if you'd like to be there, we will be in Psalm 139 um, throughout this sermon as well. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. Give your full attention. God's word is faithful and true. <clears throat> whatever then, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever then you eat, wh- whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of it. Uh, Now, let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray now that you would be with us as we consider what it means to live to your glory in a debt of gratitude to you once again. We pray, Lord, that you would fill in, that you would color in um, this beautiful picture of what it means to live to your glory. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. We return to the verses that we considered last week in our time in the presence of God. And it is in order to to consider further what it means to live lives of the glory of God in debt of gratitude to him. Uh, we are doing this because I do believe that that there was something out of order from last week. And it was not with you. It was with me and my my sermon. Um and so throughout the week, the Lord was ministering to me, and I, I believe and hope that, that we will maybe set things right today, hopefully. With God's help, we uh, will submit ourselves and allow him to, as I said in our prayer, to, to color in this, this beautiful picture of what it means to live to his glory further this morning. Saints of God, I, I wonder if after the sermon last week, you were able to answer this question. What is living to the glory of God out of debt of gratitude to him? If if someone, as I'm doing now, were to ask you, what is that, right? How would you summarize it? What, What would you say your answer would be? I might say, it is living to the glory of God, a life before the face of God. No, that's pretty, that's broad, but what does that mean? I would say it is to devote oneself Here's where I missed it. Internally. And then externally. To live a life to the glory of God out of debt of gratitude to him. Uh, Why should we offer our lives to be lived in such a way? To live internally. And then to live externally to the glory of God out of debt of gratitude. Why? What kind of what kind of debt do we owe him? We considered this last week. That God has made us. That's starting. That's the starting point. God has made us. Were it not for the goodness of God, we learned this last week, we would not be. God unveils his goodness through creation and then to creation when he calls those things that were not into being. Yes. Chiefly among those things that God has revealed his goodness to in, in a most grand manner is man. God has in a grand manner revealed 
his goodness to men. God has made us, right? We have not made ourselves. We're talking about this debt. Therefore, we owe to God our very existence. We would not be if God did not cause us to be. We, who have been created out of nothing, we have been brought into existence by God. And here's not only that, not only that we exist, but also we continue to exist. It's not just that God made us, but God continues to, to will our existence. We owe God. Every single moment, saints, that we are alive right now, uh, that breath and the, the one that I'm taking right now is owed to God. If God did not give it to me, I would not have it. Every beat of my heart, um, the inhaling and the exhaling of our lungs, yes? Um, our continued focus or function of our brains, even the sustaining of our souls. All of these things belong to God, who is willing our very existence and sustaining our existence. God has willed us to be, and he has willed us to continue to be. The Apostle Paul said on Mars Hill, Acts 17, 25, he himself, or God, gives to all people life, breath, and all things. God does this. If for one second, God ceased to will, and we've had some close moments, haven't we, in our lives. Uh, we've had some moments where we go, Whew, you gave me one more day, Lord. If God ceased to will that we would exist, then we would be annihilated. And yet, God reveals his goodness to image bearers, in that he continues to give us life, breath, and all things. And I might add that even if he willed that we did not exist anymore, that would not take away from the goodness of God. He would still be good. The point is, we receive our very being from God. We are dependent beings. We depend upon him for our lives to continue. We're being sustained by God. We've been made by him, but also for him. Since you and I have been made uniquely in the image of God. We know this. We've been made to know God. We've been made and created to fellowship with God. You know this. We've been made to have sweet intimacy with God, to know him. And as we know him, to love him. And as we know him and love him, rest in our highest and most complete joy in God. That is, when we know God, we learn to love him. When we learn to love him, we learn that he fulfills our greatest desire, which is happiness, and it's found in him. That's why we've been created. Oh, we are made for this kind of divine life, saints of God. God has revealed his goodness to man, made in his image, as he has made man to share in the life of God. God has made man so that man might partake in the divine life, the life of God. Saints, I'd like you to brace yourself for a moment. I'm going to say something that I, that I think might shock you. Here it is. We were made for religion. You and I were made for religion. I am very aware that religion is often a word that, that is viewed with repulsion. People sometimes hate the word religion. I don't want to have religious conversations. Don't get me started on religion, right? But in fact, the word itself is a beautiful word. And it highlights the, the, the reason for our existence. Religion is simply this, belief and worship. 
It's belief and worship. We have a lot of different ideas of what religion is. But religion is simply this, belief and worship. The opinion of the world is that religion is not for everyone. Not so. Religion, in fact, is for everyone. Because everyone is made in the image of God. You were made for religion, saints. You were made for adoration. And to deny that is to deny man's purpose for his very existence. To deny that man is made for religion is to deny the most essential reason for why you live. You live to worship God. You live to live your life to the glory of God. It's why you're here. Theologians have coined this phrase, homo adorans, which means man worshiper. Man made for worship. God has made you to give yourself to him. All things come from God. And all things, therefore, must return themselves to God in worship and in gratitude. God made you, so God has made you to give yourself back to him. It's the the exodus and reditus that Pastor Isaiah preached so wonderfully a long time ago. That the exodus and reditus is exiting all things come from God and all things return to God. We have been made by God. We are not our we are not for ourselves, we are for God. We owe him a debt of honor, which is worship. We owe to him ourselves. All things come from God, and all things will return to God. It's why we exist. You have been made, here it is again, for religion. If there is no life of worship before God, then frankly, dear ones, there is no life. It's why we can say appropriately to the person who is not giving their lives to God, to Christ specifically in worship, that they are dead in their sins. If you are not living your life to the glory of God, then you are not living life. You may be alive, but you're not living abundantly. The life that God has created you to live. All rational, what the theologian says, all rational, spiritual, and other qualities of man that distinguish him from other creatures have their focus and ultimate fulfillment in this capacity or in this way to bless the one who has blessed you. To know God. To hunger and thirst for God. This is life. This is the life that God has given to man. And if you don't have this life, you don't have life. You have been made for religion. You've been made for worship. It's not just life. It's the abundant life. It's the divine life. Saints of God, I do believe this was the first man's life and his vocation in the Garden of Eden. When you think about the the life of Adam before the fall or prelapsarian Adam, the life of Adam before the fall was a life of worship. It was a life of giving himself to God who gave him all things. When we think of Adam's vocation in the garden, some of us might go, well, he was a farmer. Well, he, he was, but not necessarily, though. Adam was a priest. His responsibility was to, to work and to tend the garden, which we believe was the temple. Adam's job was, uh, he was a, a priest in the temple of God whose life consisted of joyfully knowing God. As Adam tends the garden, he is in this vocation of worship and knowing God. 
and in knowing God, loving him. And in loving and loving God, resting in him who he is learning is his highest delight. The sum of Adam's life for a time, I'm going to keep saying for a time, for a period of time, which is the sum of the life of man, what life man's life should be, was a life lived to the glory of God. Adam had, now follow me this with this, Adam had external duties, didn't he? He was to work and keep the garden. What is work to, and keep? Work and keep is a priestly term which means to guard. It means to protect. Work and keep is a priestly term that it means to, to guard and to protect. What was he to guard and protect? He was to protect and guard the garden and those who made their home in that holy temple. Namely himself and his wife and those who would come from them. From what? From any evil or unclean thing. He was to guard and to protect. But also of the external duties, there was something internally that was supposed to be going on. The external work of Adam, the, the good work of Adam's guarding and keeping was rooted in the internal work of Adam. Or I could say this way, the external life of Adam was an overflow of the internal life of Adam. Meaning, when Adam performed his duties in the garden in a manner that glorified God, it was the overflow or it was the result of Adam offering himself first internally to God, which brought him joy. The joy that he knew with God internally flowed out into his life externally. The life of worship, saints of God, the life lived to the glory of God. It does not begin first with hands and feet. It begins first with the mind and the heart. It's the overflow of the heart and the mind into the hands and feet of the man that is the full life of living to the glory of God. If there was a weakness in my sermon from last week, it was this. I emphasized the external life, but did not emphasize the internal life. That our outward duties, how we love our wives, and some of us walked away feeling really guilty, didn't we? Like, how do I do that? Get, get God, give me strength. I know I'm failing, right? Um. The way that we love our children, the, the way that we are at work, the, the way that we are in our own private time, all of those things are external duties, but they begin, they are rooted in the internal life of man. The life of worship. Now, why make this distinction? Why make this distinction between the internal life and the external life? Why does that matter? It matters because you are a body and a soul. You're not just a body. We are body, soul composites. Religion, worship, is a body that is anim animated by the soul. What comes out of your mouth is rooted in what's in your heart. What you act upon, what you live upon is what you think is true. You're not a robot who's just mindlessly doing things. You're doing things based upon something that you believe and love. You are body, soul, composites. Religion by its nature involves the whole person. It involves your soul and your body. Amen. And last week, I think I did more emphasize, more emphasizing of the body than of the soul. So if you're going to listen to these sermons, listen to this one first and then listen to the next one next week. 
When we think of expressions of divine worship, most of us most readily think of physical things to do. We think of giving to the poor. I need to be nicer to people. Everything that we mentioned last week, and we sometimes, well, we most often allow the external acts to take precedence over the internal acts. But it's the internal acts that are an overflow into the external acts. It's why we do what we do, because of the inner life of worship. True religion. True religion begins in the soul of a man, and then it is, and then it is animated in the body. Or I can make it plainer. Living to the glory of God out of gratitude to Him begins in your soul, and then it is lived out in the body. There is a particular inner life that the worshiper lives before God, before it is ever seen by man. This is important. Because when we live a life of worship, it doesn't start man to man. It starts man to God. And the life that is lived man to God is then poured out into the life lived man to man. What is the inner life then? What was the inner life of Adam? What is the inner life of worship, of the worshiper? Let let me say this. This is just touching the tip of the iceberg, okay? There's so much to say, but I'm going to focus this morning on just three things. The inner life of the worshiper, and, and, and we're going to use Adam as our example. The inner life of Adam was a life of reverence before the face of God. The inner life of the worshiper, the inner life of the worshiper is a, is a life lived in reverence. Watch this, before the face of God. Meaning this, it is a life lived reverently before the one who sees all and knows all. That sounds pretty simple, isn't it? God sees you. There are many different words that are appropriate for this word reverence, and we're going to get to that. It's fear. God sees you. Do you fear him because he sees you? Not just the things done by hands and feet, but the things thought in mind and and things loved in heart. Do you fear God who sees that? Reverence is wonder. Are, are you in wonder of the one who sees not just the flesh, but sees the soul? Here's, here's a few other ones. Are you uh, solemn over him? Before, are you Not over him, before him. Do you honor him? The inner life of the man who was created for worship is a life of inner, 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 inner reverence. Inner fear. Inner wonder. Inner solemnity. He knows what you're thinking even now. Is you are your thoughts before him reverent? It's inner dignity, inner honor before the God who sees all. Jeremiah 23, 23. God says, am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God who is far off? The question is, or the answer is, yes, I'm here. I'm not over there. It's not as though God is in heaven and I can hide these things from him here. He says, I am, well, it goes on. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I don't, so that I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? And the answer to all those is yes, I do. I, God is saying he is everywhere. God is everywhere. There is no place where God is not. But saints of God, God does not just fill physical spaces. He also fills non-physical spaces. Your soul is a non-physical thing, and God fills that too. 
your soul is a non-physical thing and God not only fills it, but God also sees it and examines it. Psalm 139, O Lord, David says, you've searched me. David says, you've known me. And David then explains that the knowledge and presence of God goes beyond physical space to non-material, non-material places. He says in Psalm 139, verse 2, you know when I sit and when I lie down, those are physical, and you understand my thoughts from afar. You may be distant from me in that your kingdom is here, but you are everywhere so close that you even see my thoughts. You scrutinize, listen to this, you scrutinize my path and my lying down. The directions that I take, you see them. They are intimately, and, and he says you are intimately. Not, um, not just acquainted with them. You are intimately acquainted with them. You know them deeply. He says you know all my ways. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even, watch this, even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all. The thoughts that are here, that are going to come out there, you know them before they've even spoken. God knows the soul. Let me ask you, saints of God, are you living a life that is reverent before the one who knows the words that you're going to speak before you even say them? We say, I better not say that, you know, Lord, forgive me, Lord. But he already knows what you were thinking. He knows what you wanted to say that you didn't say to man, but you're saying it in your head to God. God sees that. I better, I better not say that word. He knows what word that was. The life lived to the glory of God is a life that reveres, honors, lives in holy fear, saints of God, of the one who knows every thought before it reaches our tongue to speak it. A life lived to the glory of God is lived in solemnity before the one who knows when we sit down before we even sit and when we rise before we even rise. Are we reverent of him? The one who sees our path before we ever step one foot in that direction to go. God knows it. God sees it. David will declare outwardly and in wonder, he says, and thinking about the things that I just said, such knowledge, 139 verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. David is saying, as, as a worshiper, that the life of the man created for worship, the inner life of reverence, it is so wonderful. And he is lost in wonder to the one who knows and sees all. That's reverence. God, you are amazing. We know this, don't we? We know what it, we, let, let's do a practical thing of what it means to live reverently, uh, to, to behave in a certain kind of way, right? We're, we're looking at the external, but when our children are, are in our presence and they are playing or, or they are doing something, they are more reverent, they act more reverential when you are there. And we would hope that this is not true. But when we are not, that they would act as though dad and mom are watching me right now. And so I'm going to behave myself. There's a certain kind of conduct in which they will conduct themselves when they know dad and mom are watching. I remember going um, having my dad only went to a few baseball games, but I remember at least once that he went to one of my baseball games. And as I was playing, I, I would constantly be looking at him to see if he was watching me. 
And there he was, in, in the very long, far distance, watching. And I was aware of his presence. I was conducting myself, at least that day, as though Dad is watching. Saints of God, the life of the worshiper doesn't conduct themselves just only externally as though God is watching. They conduct themselves also internally as though God is watching. Why? Because he in fact is. Because God is in fact knowing your soul. He is knowing minds and he is knowing hearts. God is. Our Heavenly Father is present. He is not ignoring his children. He's not neglecting them. Nor is he busy with other matters. God knows all and sees all. And the life of the worshiper is lived not just externally to the glory of God, but internally to the one who is watching and sees all. Man, as worshiper, gives himself internally and externally to God, who is always present. Very simple. We, we automatically want to jump to how we interact with others. But we must remember that our interaction is not first man to man. It is man to God. The first act is within. Now, <clears throat> it is saying not to yourself, but to, to, to God, you are here. Not just once. At all times. God, you see my mind. God, you see my heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my Amen. Let that be a prayer for you at all times. You know when I rise, you know when I lie down. You, you know my path before it is walked. This knowledge, God, is too high for me, for me, too deep for me to fathom. I cannot attain to it. I can't grab it and bring it down to me. This is most likely what Adam enjoyed, listen to this, for a time. During his probationary period of obedience. The life of, of worship that Adam lived was a life of reverence before God. And this reference produced in him a time, secondly, of contemplation. Reverence produces a, 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 a time in Adam, and it should for the worshiper, of contemplation. Contemplation. At the end of all of our sermons, the elders will encourage and, and invite the church to contemplate. Let's now contemplate on the things that we have heard today. Meditate on the things that we have heard today. Contemplating on truths. That we have heard from God. Contemplation. It is a kind of reflection in order to search for the greatest meaning and delight in the truth that is found. It is a reflection and, and search for the greatest truth and then to, to delight in that which is found. To delight in that which is revealed. It is this inner vocation because it is work. Of knowing and delighting in what is known. Watch this again. Knowing and delighting, reflecting, contemplating, meditating on what is known and delighting in what is known. The contemplation is rooted in love. Why do I want to think about these things? Why do I want to spend time contemplating? Because God has given love to me. The lover gives love, and the one who is loved thinks about the lover. There is, again, this motion of things coming from God and things returning to God. 
contemplation is is an act interactive worship that is that is offered to God. And it, and I do believe it was what Adam enjoyed for a time. It is what David was doing in Psalm 139. Uh, Pastor Isaiah made a good point that that this could actually be appropriated to Christ. Christ is the one who is truly thinking about God. But in his time of contemplation, being in absolute awe as he is thinking about the, the wondrous depths of God. But listen to this. When he thinks about the wondrous depths of God, he's not dismayed. Have you ever come to, to hear truth and have been sometimes frustrated by it? I, I don't understand it. it. It's making me upset that I can't comprehend these things. Well, David is saying that, that when you think about God, you should not be frustrated you should not be dismayed. Rather, you should be lost in wonder. When you think about the wondrous depth that you will never be able to reach, the, the wondrous heights that you will never be able to climb in God, as God is. David says, I'm not dismayed. It's wonderful to me. It's glorious to me. It, 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 I am delighting over the facts that I will never be able to ascend those heights. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Things that he thought about, you, for, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will, I will thank you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He's just thinking about you. Imagine Adam walking around, and he's looking at him. You made me this way. He's looking at all the other creatures, and he is unlike all the other creatures. You made me this way. I can know you, and it looks like they don't know you the way I know you. My soul knows this well. He says, my frame is not hidden from you. You know all of me. Saints, it's though David is speaking the words of Adam. But I love what was said this morning. He's speaking the words of Christ. Search the book of Genesis. There are only two verses where Adam speaks. Adam speaks in the book of Genesis just two times. One was words of fear. The other was words of unaccountability. It's the only time that Adam speaks. But before man plummeted himself into sin, he was giving himself to the glory of God. He would have said within his soul as he contemplated the goodness of God, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The life lived to the glory of God is a life that contemplates truth. Truth that is revealed in God's word. Contemplation is related to the mind or the intellect. It involves understanding truth. And dear ones, it's knowing God. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life. That they might have life more abundantly. And what is life? It's knowing God. John 17. It's knowing God. Knowing God, I think. It's knowing God. It's thinking about God. What was Adam doing as he tended the garden, as he, as he worked and kept it, as he guarded the garden? What, what was he doing? He was living a life of contemplation, reverence and contemplation. Contemplating on what? The goodness of God, the love of God, the word of God, and what God's word meant to him and what God's word would produce in him. Now, though we don't have much that Adam says, we have much that God says to Adam. And therefore, much that Adam would contemplate on. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth, God says to Adam. 
God says to Adam, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God says to Adam, it's not good that you're alone. This is your helper. She is of you. All of these trees are yours. Eat of them, but not that one. If you eat of that one, you will die. That and so much more, Adam had time to contemplate concerning who God is and what God has says said the inner life of Adam was lived for a time in reverence before God and also in contemplation before God and his word. It was a blessed life that Adam was living for a time. It was a good life. How blessed, someone is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That was a, a the life of Adam for a time. And it was this life that Adam found great delight in as he lived to the glory of God out of a debt of honor to God. The inner life, living to the glory of God, contemplates God's word, meditates on it and finds great delight in the truths that are discovered there. Saints of God, let me ask you, as I asked myself during this sermon, what is our life of contemplation like? What are the things that we are seeking to know? What are the sing, the things that we are find, finding delight in as we know them? What knowledge are you pursuing right now of God? See that? Of God. We can have knowledge of finding out a number of different things. How to build an engine. Um, how to make more money in this particular place. Uh, how to, you know, landscape your yard. I, what things are you are you learning about right now, gaining knowledge in that is creating in you delight? Everyone is, is pursuing some understanding. Everyone is pursuing some knowledge. What knowledge of God? If we know and believe that that God is where we find our highest delight, the, the question is, what knowledge of God are you pursuing right now? Children of God. That's men, women, boys and girls, oldest of the youngest. I urge you, do not be empty or void of contemplation upon that which is eternally holy, nor be offended when you are asked by one of the saints, what are you contemplating from God's word right now? Don't be offended. If we are not contemplating anything holy of God, then we should be ashamed. If we are not contemplating on the divine and delighting in him who was ever present, blessed, happy, the one who, who is meditating on him day and night, then yes, we should say, God, forgive me for not giving to you a life lived to your glory, heart and mind. Amen. It is a life lived to the glory of God. It was, I believe, the life lived by the first man for a time. It was a life of contemplation, lastly, a life of, of reverence, contemplation, and then lastly, a life of prayer. David prayed in Psalm 139 at the very end of that of that chapter. Search me. This is his prayer. Search me, O God. It's his request. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me to the everlasting way. Saints of God, for some of us, it's easier to say, just can I just give can I just give to the poor? And then my duty be done. It's so much easier. I, I can tell by your faces right now. It's so much easier for me to go, for us to go. 
Pastor uh, Antonio, can you just tell me where I need to drop off my clothes to the homeless? Done. This inner life yes. is a life of virtue. Yes. Because we can do a checkmark external act and think we've done our duty. And then go along the way and have all sorts of simple thoughts in our heads, all sorts of simple desires in our hearts. But we've cut because we've given the check mark of here's the external duty. We think we're OK. This is the life of this begins here. The life lived to the glory of God first. Amen. The easier part is what I just said. Yeah. Who, who are we going to feed today? Huh? Giving away free bikes. Done. This is where it begins. Not that those things are bad, but this is where it begins. Prayer is an act of the will. Saints, do you pray? Do you pray? Prayer is first, not last. Adoring God who has caused all things to be. Prayer is first, not petition. Prayer is first, adoration. It's not less than, but it's not more than. Prayer is adoration. The life of Adam was a life of petition, but it was not petition first. The life of Adam was first adoration to God. It was a life lived to adore God. For a time, Adam blessed the one who blessed him. Saints of God, do you spend your your time of prayer beginning with God, I bless you. God, I, I honor you. God, I adore you. And then count the ways. Count the ways in which you could adore him. And then count the ways in which, secondly, you could give thanks to him. Thank him first for him. Adore him first for himself. Not that he is giving anything to you, right, when you bless him. No, not that you are giving anything to him when you bless him. We don't fill something up in God that is lacking when we bless him. But it is proper in, in worship. It is proper in prayer to bless God. Amen. You are adoring him. Yes. You are exalting the one yes. whom you owe your very existence to. It's proper. It's fitting for us to give adoration to God in prayer. To say to him, I owe all things to you. Amen. I didn't have to look very far when I was looking for a... a, a a psalm of adoration. It's the, the, the chapter before and probably the chapter after. But I will give thanks to you with all my heart, David says. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. He, he offers both prayers of, of adoration and thanksgiving in the same prayer. And then if you read on, he says, I called and you answered. Saints, the life of a worshiper, the life of one who seeks to live to the glory of God. Is one who lives a life of prayer. Not occasionally. Scriptures say. Pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. How do we do that? It is a life lived coram Deo. A life lived before the face of God. I am, I am always reverent before him. God help me. I am always contemplating him. God help me. I am always adoring you. And giving thanks to you. And, and interceding for others. And then giving to you my own prayers. I am praying without ceasing. It's a life that is lived on our knees in holy dependence of God. Offering 
to him blessings of praise. Blessings to God, if we're thinking about that, it's like when our children give us gifts that we gave them the money to buy. <laughs> Your kids do that. You here's some, here's some money. Go buy some gifts, and then they buy you a gift. It's a humble gift. It's a gift offered with with the, the highest desire that you would simply be pleased by what they have, what they have got you. Maybe a keychain. It may be a new coffee cup, and it's something that you go, oh great, you know. But because they gave it to you. Because they thought about you. Because they wanted you to delight in what they are presenting to you. You receive it as if it is the greatest treasure you've ever received. My daughter, sometimes she'll paint something. And her paintings are become, becoming great, right? But you might see, what in the world is this? But when I grab it, I go, wow. To me, it's a Picasso. Look at this. This is amazing. And to see her face. As I delight in what she has made, she has the biggest smile. She's bouncing up and down, and her, her, you can't. She's Filipina, but you you can barely see her eyes when she's smiling, because she is delighting in the fact that I have delighted in what she's given to me, and she's given to me out of a heart of joy. It's it's kind of it's not not the same, but it's kind of like what it, it's like when we bless God. He cherishes it and receives it as an aroma of love. When we bless God in prayer, there is something not in the sacrifice, but in the heart that God takes to life. If it's a sacrifice, then it's never going to be good enough because only Christ is good enough. Yes. And we offer to him our hearts in response to what Christ has done for us. And God receives it with great delight. This was the life of Adam for a time. He offered prayers of adoration. And I am certain, though it's not recorded, there were days when Adam would walk in the garden and just thank God for the temple. Thank you for this lovely place. Adore God for his absolute goodness that God gave Adam with the food and with the drink there. Seeing the water that flowed out of the garden, that Adam would look at it and say, God, you are amazing. Thank you for this beautiful water. Looking at his wife and saying, Lord, thank you. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Thank you for her. Saints, do you offer these kinds of prayers? Or is it only to help me, Lord? Help me, Lord. Nothing wrong with the help me. But there is so much more to the life lived to the glory of God that we are missing if our, li- if our lives of prayer only consist of help me, Lord. Help him, Lord. Help her, Lord. What about, Lord, I adore you. Amen. Dear God, I adore you. Amen. There was a time when Adam lived to the glory of God out of debt of honor until the day when Adam decided he would no longer offer a debt of honor, but that he would gain his own honor. That he would stop living in reverence to God. That he would no longer contemplate on God's word. That he would end giving glory to God and seek glory for himself. The same thing happened to David. There was a time when David no longer was in wonder of the God who formed him, but was in wonder of the one who formed Bathsheba. No, was in wonder of Bathsheba. Not in wonder of the one who formed Bathsheba, in wonder of the one who is Bathsheba. 
When kings go off to war, David stayed behind. He was no longer asking God for a time to search his heart and his mind. Instead, he turned away from the lover of his soul to another lover. One who could not give him what God gave him. And one whom he did not owe his entire life to. The inner life pours out into the outer life. When the inner life is devoted to God, it pours forth an outer life that will result in virtue before God. Living a life to the glory of God. Living a life that God is pleased with. But when the inner life is neglected, it will pour into the outer life, resulting in our failure and our fall. God said to Cain, What's the matter with you? Why's your face like that? Don't you know that if you offer the right thing, you will be accepted? God gave Cain the warning. Give out of a heart that truly wants to worship God the way your brother did. Don't be jealous of him. Join him. And after that rebuke, what did Cain do? He does not go and give God's true worship. Instead, out of the overflow of his inner comes the destruction of his brother. The inner flows into the outer. It sounds cliche, saints. But when there is apparent sin, when you see it, it's because there is something in the inner that is being neglected. It's There's something of the soul that is not being offered to God, which is then pouring out into the body. And then we see it. What's going on there? There's a condition of the soul. There's something happening within, within the soul of the man or woman. But they are not offering to God. How do I know that? Because you cannot revere God. You cannot contemplate Him. You cannot pray and then come out of that living a life of worship inwardly to pursue sin. You can't be offering reference to God. God, you see my heart. You see my mind. God, I am contemplating on your truths. I am, I am in lost in wonder of how wonderful your truths are. God, I adore you. God, I give you thanks. God, I am praying for these people. And then, Lord, help me. And then walk out of that time of intimacy with God, pursuing sin. The more time you spend with him, the more time you become like him. So if you're not living to the glory of God, it's because there is something not done here first. Which then follows being unloving, right? To your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors, so on and so forth. When we are with God, we are made like God. So you might not be perfect, but they should at least be saying about you, but you're getting better. I see it. You're getting better. Get back in that closet with God. Get back in that closet with God. Come back in another year. You'll be even better. Because Adam failed to give God what he owed him, a debt of honor, it resulted in now a debt of satisfaction that we could not pay. But thanks be to God. Glory to God for the New Testament. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, the eternal word who assumed our flesh. God became man. 
The debt of satisfaction has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ, the second and better Adam. All the things that Adam did for a time, Christ has done without cease to its full completion. He lived a perfect life of reverence before God. He lived as a divine exemplar. He lived a life of what it means to worship, to live a life to the glory of God. Christ is the blessed man. The man who delights of Psalm 1. The man who delights in the law of God, who meditates on it day and night. And because of it, he is rooted like a tree whose waters Amen. whose waters surround and who, who feeds the nations with his fruit. Christ is the immovable tree. He's the unshakable tree. He heals, not only gives fruit to the nations, but by his fruit he heals the nations. Christ lives a constant life of communion with God in prayer. He prays at all times, doesn't he? He's constantly praying. There, there, there are times when Christ will even escape just to pray. He prays without ceasing. His soul is, is ever aware of God. He could say without any fear of sin being found, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Psalm 39.1. He could say what David said, but say it without fear. Because I know if I say it to God, search me. But don't look there, right? Christ could say, search everywhere. And you will find nowhere where there is sin within me. You have known me. He could say that no evil would be found in him when he, when he prays. Search me and know me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there are any hurtful ways in me. And Christ would come out as the impeccable one. The sinless one. He lived he died, he rose, he ascended, he will return in glory on our behalf. Therefore, we owe to him a debt of gratitude. Amen. Honor was not offered. Satisfaction then became our debt, and it was paid. Now we owe him gratitude. And that life begins inwardly and then pours out externally. The inner life, dear ones, is a shared life with God. And because we share life with God, we are therefore empowered to live this life. God is not saying, I've saved you. Uh, now, a little pat on the back. Now, now go your merry way and do your best. I've saved you. And then he takes us by the hand and walks with us as one who is inside of us mysteri mysteriously. He's in you. God grants faith and then gives his very life to share. The Blessed Trinity comes to dwell in our soul. He comes to make his home within the man, to bring the man into his very presence. He comes inside of you and then sets you on a path that will bring you to him fully and finally. For this gift of grace, saints, for this gift of be being given a share, a participation in God's own divine life, and for this unfathomable destiny of sharing in the blessed life for all eternity. The Christian is indebted beyond all words that I could ever say. To God alone. It is a life that we owe to God and a life that we have been empowered to live. I'm going to say this again. I said it last week. It can be lived because God lives in you. You can live this life because God lives in you. Don't look at this as it's impossible. With man, all things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He does live in you and greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. 
The inner life of devotion to God is yours and power. I'm not going to get crazy here, but power is available to you. A life of devotion. Worship lived before God. It's yours. And let me say this. It's not because you're so overwhelmed with emotion either. It's not you fired me up. Now let's go. No. We ebb and flow with our emotions, don't we? We feel strong emotions one day, and then the next day we don't feel as strong of emotions. Right now I am preaching to you a message. Therefore, I am urging you. I am hoping with this message, convincing you. So you should you should feel a little bit of a spark. But will you feel the spark tomorrow? Probably not. But that doesn't mean that you still that you are not to live this life even still. Worship, religion, is not a pursuit of emotion. It's not a pursuit of emotion. It's a pursuit of God. Will emotion sometimes be there? Yes. It's not absent of emotion, but it's certainly not dependent upon emotion either. I just want to be happy. Are you in Christ? Then happiness is yours. Fix what you think happiness means. Pops used to say, my dad used to say, it's not just tiptoeing through the tulips every day. It's a life lived according to the reality of what's true. Even when you don't feel it or not. Don't use the excuse, I just don't feel it today. Stop it. Is it true? Yes. Then you live it. Worship, devotion is not a feeling. It's an act of the will based upon a truth that is rooted in love. Not February, was 13, 14? Not February, whatever B-Day is, kind of love. Love that reminds you of what's true in spite of how you feel. It is a continued and repeated choice. It's a continued and repeated choice. I'll do it again. It's a continued and repeated choice regardless of how you feel. It's a choice to offer your life to God. Here here it is. Because it's right. And it's based on truth. Rooted in love. Why do you go to work tomorrow? Let me ask you this. Did you feel like when you first woke up this morning, I'll just point to Dustin, driving 50 minutes to come to Bakersfield. Did you feel like it? But you did it, bro, because it's the right thing to do. Based on what? What's true? Why do you know? Why do you believe it's true? Because God has changed my heart and I now love him. Therefore, I react not based upon what I feel, but based upon what is true. We live our lives according to love and truth, not feelings. Imagine the things that you would do if you acted on your feelings alone. Imagine the people you would call if you had felt how you felt just to tell them how you were really feeling. The relationship that you would still or not have if you acted always on your feelings. We don't choose truth because of our fervor for it, how it makes us feel. We choose it because it's right. It's a mistake to think that worship or living to the glory of God is exclusively about feelings or emotions. They're not absent of them, but they're not dependent upon them either.
To be devoted to God is to give oneself, to choose the good, to choose the truth that is rooted in love, not rooted in emotion, but love for God. We may experience sensible delight, uh, emotional responses uh, as a kind of overflow from devotion. But it is common to be devoted to God by the act of the will without experiencing any kind of emotional response. I love him. That was a good sermon today. Most of you are not going to go running down Yampa all the way to Virginia shouting Woo-hoo! out of emotion. You're going to walk out of here and go, that was good. That was true. Praise be to God, help me to live that life. It's an act of the will in response to truth that is rooted in your love for God. How do you get it? How do you get devotion? How do you grow in this act of devotion? Start on the inside. Start here. Start by reverencing God. Start by adoring God. Start by giving your life to God in prayer. Amen. Think about him. Think about his goodness. Think about his love. Think about his word. Think about your utter dependence upon him. Think about the fact that God has been faithful to us. Amen. That he has never forsaken us. We pray around our table when we're getting ready to eat. One of, lately we've been praying. Thank you, Lord, that when we gather around this table, there is we are never gathering around this table with nothing on the table to eat. Thank you that, and, and I said this a few weeks ago, and some of our kids are all eating different things. You know this as, as you're getting old, as you're getting older with your kids, they don't just eat all the same thing anymore. This kid doesn't like beans. This kid doesn't like rice. This kid doesn't want no cheese on it. Everybody's making different food, right? But we're all sitting there with all these, this, this smorgasbord of food, and we're thanking God that he has provided for all of us. And we've never come to the table with, with nothing there to eat. Yeah, think about the goodness of God. Come to him. Contemplate the work of, of, of the God-man. Of Jesus Christ. Yes. And let me say to you, if you want to contemplate a truth, that is one that, that will, you will never be able to exhaust. There was a, a friend from another church who said to me, yeah, I'm right now studying the doctrine of God, and then when I get done with that, I'm going to study some other doctrine. I said, oh, my friend, you are never... Doctrine of God is, is never something that you get done with. It's something that you always, always continue to learn and grow in. Think about God. Devote yourself to him completely. And ask him to give you grace. To be reverent of, be reverent of him. He is everywhere. Ask him to give you grace to pray. Say to him... As uh, is said in the beautiful song, I surrender all. All to him, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Saints of God, I I pray that that this, I think, maybe brought more color to living a life of the glory of God, first inwardly, and how the inward life pours out into the outward life. May God give you grace to live for his glory out of debt of gratitude to him. Let us pray.